Let's do this. Yeah, whenever you're ready. Yeah. Hi, Johan. Hello. What's on your table? The planet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we had to make sure that we can touch people, give hope, but also lead the industry to a more sustainable future. And of course, also financially, so that we stay resilient. Whether we like it or not, we have to admit that now we're forced as scientists to pose the question, are we at risk of destabilizing the planet? Well, you know, I'm today, since two years actually now, leading the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research in Germany, one of the world's leading uh, interdisciplinary earth system science and climate policy oriented research institutes so that's a, a great you know privilege but mm. also a fantastic you know responsibility at this juncture in time now that we have more and more evidence that you know we enter the super year 2020 it was crashed down by covid-19 but mm. we know that the, the planet cannot wait and we are pursuing the science for that transformation mm. Mm. Then I'm a professor at the University of Potsdam in Earth System Science. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of my time, apart from working with fantastic world-leading climate scientists mm -hmm. at the Potsdam Institute, also advancing the planetary boundary research right. that you've been so involved yeah. in as um, in your previous role mm -hmm. as head of sustainability at H&M. And, and we are now really at the frontier of defining, you know, the safe operating space mm -hmm. for humanity on mm -hmm. Earth because... You know, whether we like it or not, we have to admit that now we're forced as scientists to pose the question, are we at risk of destabilizing the planet? So right. that's where, where my science is, is focusing on, you know, tipping points and understanding not only climate, but water, land, biodiversity, right. nitrogen, phosphorus, air pollutants. Mm. How do we take care of the whole planet? So that's what I'm doing. And I'm still keeping one foot at the Stockholm Resilience Center that you've also visited. Good. And yeah. Having my professorship at Stockholm University and global sustainability mm. still, so I have mm. this two feet. And mm. uh, but you know, I, I moved to Germany and took on this uh, directorship at the Potsdam Institute almost at the same moment that you took over H and M, and right. I was just so just like, wow, here comes the head of sustainability and becomes the CEO. I mean, I don't think I've even congratulated you since <laughs> since that time. Tell me how how is it going? Well, um, of course, the start was a bit unexpected, I must <laughs> say, because by then we saw that something was starting um, about COVID uh, in China. But I guess no one could understand that this would be a world crisis. So yeah. just a few weeks in my role, we had to start closing. Um, at the peak, we had 80% of all our stores closed. I guess I would say right now uh, what we're doing is to also trying to learn mm. from this. Um, so if we look at the, the past six months, we have learned so much about integrating channels, digital and physical, mm. and how to kind of meet the customers. And they have to decide where to meet us, and we should be able to enable that, mm. Mm. both with our supply chain and also, of course, with with um, if it's online or if it's in a physical store. 
in partnership with others. Um, so that's one learning. And the other one is the importance of being fast and flexible. Because now you can't really make forecasts anymore. No, exactly. Every day you, is a new surprise. You have to just be able to live, but also like that kind mm. of flexibility. Uh, and the third one is obviously linked to sustainability and and also customers now being much more aware than mm. what we've ever seen before. Yeah. But moreover, also the vulnerability of having been through such a crisis, how do we build the future growth? We can't do any type of growth. Exactly. <laughs> it has to be growth with some sort of meaning. And with meaning, we of course mean... Uh, to make sure that we can touch people, give hope, and make sure that we empower them to be who they want to be, but also lead the industry to a more sustainable future, which is obviously touching upon the planetary boundaries that Mm. you're talking about. And of course, also financially, so that we stay resilient and that we have... uh, profitable growth so we can keep reinvesting for a better tomorrow. We know that we are in a phase where vulnerability and turbulence is just increasing. Mm. So, you know, shocks and stresses like droughts and floods and disease patterns are just increasing in frequency and in amplitude. So I think you're absolutely right to be at this juncture of seeing not only not only profitability and sustainability, but also resilience as as a feature to deal with, uh, you know, Things, you know, high turbulence is the new normal. Yes. And, and that is for ecosystems as yes. it is for business. Yes. We've had leaders for many years, leaders yeah. within science and within uh, also activists who's been telling us this is going to happen. So mm. we have kind of known yeah. and we have tried to collaborate with so many. But and that's possible when you create the plants. Mm. But we need to do and then I think it's partnerships with those who share your values that you kind of have to ally with to get things done. And I also think internally, this crisis really came with a sense of urgency. We came mm. together much more. We started recycling together with our customers many years ago on mm. a global scale. Mm. We have invested in research and in companies that could come with solutions to make fibers reusable over and over again. And how can you get to that? How can we really kind of uh, change and develop our core Mm. of producing garments into becoming more circular. And we have a lot of different initiatives where we want to be able to scale up together with partners Mm. a little bit faster. Or not a little bit, we need to do that faster. Mm. We also need to think of the resilience part uh, and need to also look at how do we diversify Mm. the different revenue streams. So the renting we have started with or... Uh, fixing broken garments or um, looking at these kind of different business models. We started Treadler, a new business unit uh, uh, recently, which is opening up our supply chain for others to buy our services because of our years in sustainability and, of course, our our network and relationship with suppliers. Mm. That's a different way of finding revenue streams that are more kind of circular in themselves or 
kind of makes sense when decoupling growth from the use of natural resources. But for us, it's really about doing it faster, changing our core and also looking at new type of growth mm. and how can we uh, do both at the same time. And then I think a sense of urgency is really, really good because we know we have to move quickly. Johan, have you seen that? We have a few cards. No, I see that. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to yeah. see what, what they say. I think these cards should guide our dialogue a little bit. So let's okay. try it out. Let's see what yeah. comes on the topic. This one says uh, measuring value. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that ties well. very well to uh, what we discussed earlier here. Mm. And uh, I mean, to begin with, uh, you're absolutely right that we need to define growth yes. in, in a way that, uh, you know, internalizes all the natural capital. Yes. I think, uh, you know, inspired by uh, scholars like Thomas Piketty, who is very clear that let's not focus on, on gross right. national product mm. or kind of the, the, the gross growth. Let's focus on the net income that we make. And of course, you know that better than anyone in, in the business mm. world mm. that the net income you of course have your income or your profit mm. and deduct all the costs but mm. in those costs you have to include all the natural capital mm. as well mm. all the resources that you're taking out from the biosphere has to be valued mm. in a way that gives you a better sense of where you are in terms mm. of net net real mm. true net profit but then also on your point about decoupling i mean i think it's a you know that's the holy grail for the yeah. world to be able to show that we can have good economic mm. development while reducing the, yes. the negative impacts. Yes. The problem is, as you know, that when you look at you know, the experience, mm. not many have succeeded. Mm. In fact, a country like Sweden mm. has decoupled officially, but that's only because we are importing so much of our consumer goods. Right. So when you, mm. when you really check the whole value chain, of what builds, you know, your and my wealth, yeah. we are still not decoupling mm. economic growth mm. from our negative mm. environmental mm. impact. But I think you as a company could, of course, succeed here and show, yes, we, we are really aiming to decouple and we're aiming to create value, which is totally in harmony with the planet. Mm. And of course, in harmony mm. with, with design values mm. in terms of what is it that makes young people really, yeah. you know, increase their, their kind of yeah. life quality when they, um, you know, not, not only consume your, your garment, but also feel that they get an identity from that, which right. is associated with, yes. with very positive messaging. Yes. And I think that is uh, today the path we are on. We have such a reach. I mean, we can engage with millions of people and young people mm. all across the globe. Mm. We could create a movement <laughs> with all those people. How do we capture that part, the relationships with all our customers and making sure that th those relationships gives meaning? Mm. Uh, uh, while I think it becomes clearer and clearer on the climate side and planetary side that, that you can actually measure a little bit in in. Today we can, in, yeah. in a better way. I would love to hear some of your comments on that. One should be very honest to say that this is a very 
complex, challenging yeah. area yeah. of putting putting full value accounting yes. on on business activity, and certainly, let's call it the soft values. Yes. I'll come back to those. Yeah. But on the hard values, when it comes to land and biodiversity and fresh water and nutrients and chemicals and mm. carbon that that are all associated with with textile mm. and garments and the whole business that you're in. I mean, these are the fundamental planetary boundaries. Mm. And, and we have today, uh, I mean, different scientific groups in the world have advanced mm. accounting methods to put a value on mm. these natural capital. You can always, you know, have long discussions whether yes. those values are the right ones. Yeah. But, but I'm of the opinion today that, you know, even if one adopts some minimum price floors, mm. You know, the uncertainty range might be very large. For example, for carbon, I mean, today, somewhere between 30 and 100 and 150, say between mm. 30 and 150 mm. US dollars per mm. ton of carbon dioxide is mm. what you will find in the scientific literature. Right. If you ask me, force a number of me, I would say roughly 100, mm. which Sweden has had since 1990. Okay. So it could be a good reference mm. point. But, you know, if you pick 50 and you're, you're really on, on the safe side, um, that would still change the the whole value perception mm. across the whole mm. value chain mm. immediately mm. and particularly if you start you know not necessarily having it as a hard measure you know because you cannot impose an on, on a customer but you can communicate upstream with all your provider of inputs right. to that right. you know we we take decisions where we uh, before our investment decisions mm. before buying something mm. from you as a as a as a supplier we do, um, you know, a, a due diligence and a cost benefit, including uh, 50 US dollar per ton of carbon dioxide. Mm. We put uh, a 50 US dollar per, per hectare of land. We, we put these kind of data coming from research. And we even if we are at the lower end, it will change. Mm. It will have impacts mm. very significantly. Mm. And it can help you in making choices. Mm. But then, of course, when it comes to the soft values, you know, to be honest, I, I was... I would say just from a very personal note that I think I think these are values that might not be possible to capture mm. quantitatively, but that you should see them almost as your resilience strategy to say that by building uh, values, I mean, your point about developing a movement, for example, right. can you imagine if, if you could get young people in the world to associate H&M garment with being in harmony with the planet. Yes. And and that becomes something that they're proud of. Yes. Because they're they, they get a dual value of this. And then of course you cannot automatically see and see it in your accounts perhaps. Yeah. But in the end, of course you'll 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 get, of course. You'll get something of back course. of that. I of mean, course. You'll, because you'll be stronger, you'll yeah. be more resilient, yeah. you'll be yeah. uh, you know, more firmly mm. anchored in uh, in the fabric today. Mm. And I, I you're absolutely right that I mean, there are even statistics on this that, you know, we have crossed a tipping point, a social tipping point where, you know, the millennials in the mm. world, young people in the world are on the move. Mm. It's not like uh, fringe, mm. marginal environmentalism mm. anymore. It's really broad. And I would argue that today, if you have a choice between something really design with high design value, yes. which is sustainable mm. or high design value, which is not sustainable, mm. The pick is obvious. Yeah. They go for the sustainable yes. option. Mm. Try a new card. Yep. Let's see what um, is on offer. There we are. All right. This one is an interesting one. Social justice. Oh, social justice. I'm 
when the gaps just become bigger, like mm. when we're in a crisis like this, which has meant that obviously consumption has gone down, uh, which obviously have some better impact on, on some parts. But when I see who's suffering most, at least with my perspective, looking at the business of the H&M group, that's obviously the production countries. Mm, mm, so yeah. where we collaborate with suppliers who have factories in developing countries and demand goes down like that so quickly without any type of forecast that this would happen. And of course, with... with um, when they lack that type of social security. Uh, and obviously we've been in contact with many other companies, with unions and with our suppliers, like mm. what can be our role in a situation like this? When we close, demand mm. goes down, they get out of job, they have limited social security. Ugh, how can we mm. come together and be part of uh, solving that in a good way? Now, most countries opened up, so but mm. if for a few months, that was quite a critical situation. And that just makes me think, uh, it becomes so clear how everything is connected. Yeah, exactly. That you can't talk about sustainability only as the planet mm. or environmental questions. You, you can't talk sustainability without profit uh, and without kind of now when the demand went down. And that, of course, makes many companies suffer. What happens then? Mm. And also the social justice part when the gaps have become even bigger. We're seeing how the social injustice is just growing in the yes. world. How how we're ripping apart, you know, the haves and the have-nots, yes. and that um, we are accumulating so much of the world's generated wealth among the the hyper-rich mm -hmm. minority, mm -hmm. and that the vast majorities are stubbornly still such large numbers, and mm -hmm. how that also tips over into into social instabilities yes. and conflict and displacement and riots mm. and and you know we mm. we end up you know if we have turbulence because of environmental mm. change we don't want even more turbulence because no. of social injustice yeah. and that's where i find that you know that we're faced with with two challenges i mean one is the the, the social justice challenge that now that we are such a big world on such a small planet mm. we have to share share the remaining yes. space on earth yes. in in, a, in, a, in an equitable mm. way mm. Where, of course, fundamentally, it's about how much atmosphere can we consume, yeah. how much fresh water, yeah. how much. I mean, yeah. oh, that's one justice, yeah. but, but you're right that the other one is really, so how do we secure that people have, uh, you know, some safety nets yes. in life? Yes, and I think going back to what we have done a lot, that's when it comes to social questions in our supply chain. Okay. Yeah. So it's a lot when it comes to factory workers, when it comes to also going back to where, where the fabric is made and making yeah. sure that we have good working conditions, working together with, of course, with competitors, since we share roughly the same factories and, and suppliers. Um, 
but also with unions so that we have a good dialogue with them uh, and of course with with ILO which is also an, a very important kind of stakeholder in uh, helping out and collaborating with us where can we have the biggest impact where can we drive the biggest change and I think long time ago we tried to accomplish things alone mm. like we could go to bangladesh and meet the prime minister and ask for higher wages or stuff mm. like that then we started more to come together uh, uh, almost the more the merrier like uh, yeah, yeah. to really have an impact uh, while now i would also say we try to come together with those that have similar values to get to action Mm. So again, uh, moving more quickly from discussion to action. But where I think we have more to do is more with the consumers. Uh, and then I can also foresee that collaborating cross-industry with other players with similar values will be important. Because the young generation comes to us, they are interested in fashion because mm. they want to have their personal style. Like, it's, it's a way to express themselves. They also listen to music. They do all other cultural things. So how can we kind of collaborate with others to drive improvements and do more actions, but also to create that type of positive spirit that we can change this if mm. we just come together? So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I also, uh, of course, internally, we talk a lot about how can we do that and how can we show more who we are mm. and what we stand for mm. uh, in a way that would, of course, attract uh, people, but also make us come together. And what's so important for us is that we are seen as a company that walk the talk. Mm. You know, when we say something, we want to make sure that we get it done. <laughs> and I would just love to see a future when we do more things together, because that I think can have a great impact when it comes to uh, also social justice and, and driving improvements. Mm. No, and I think with, with the COVID-19 crisis, this is the moment to, to fully integrate health, sustainability, yes. with the yes. social justice yes. side. Because when you think of it, I mean, uh, one of your <clears throat> workers in Dhaka, um, you know, if he or she can feel that uh, there is a good social security system, adequate mm. wages, they can put the children in school, yes. but they can also breathe mm. the air. Yes. And they can feel that they're not... Uh, facing risk of sea level rise that will no. basically mean that they have to leave their grandfather's land that yes. they have as a security yes. measure in their mm. resilience mm. for their families. Mm. Because most poor families have these, this agency of having small piece of income from different sources yes. and they always have some land that they yes. cultivate as well. Yes. So I think that this point of a rapidly urbanizing world where design values are important, yes. that the fashion yes. is fundamental yes. to who you are. Yes. But but remember that the majority in the world still have their feet right. in the rural areas. Right. Yes. That's where they come yes. from. And that they know about yes. um, 
cotton and textiles yes. and, and food and uh, sea level rise and all these uh, elements. Yes. I think that if we can get that together into kind of a new, yeah. <clears throat> almost like a universal justice yes. agenda, yes. I think that yes. is... Um, and also I think for us, everything comes together because if we are going to build even more trust mm. with people out there, we can't only talk and do things for social justice. We have to also show that we are doing things for the planet because that all goes together. Exactly. So that's where I see that we have to also move more quickly going forward when it comes to that circular thinking, when it comes to linear, <laughs> the, the system behind fashion that I think we have to kind of change more quickly. Uh, and for me, and I would love to hear your point on the circular thinking, mm. because that's where we put most effort right now mm. to try to move faster and create more impact in how can we get flows to, to be much more circular than linear Mm. as the traditional business models. No, you know, the the point that we're, that you passed through, the world is right now passing through a crisis mm. and we have to trans, translate that crisis into a transformative moment. Yes. And as you know, that is, that is so necessary also from the scientific assessment. Mm. I mean, we have just 10 years now to mm. turn things around. We need to cut global emissions, global emissions yeah. by half, and we need to halt biodiversity loss mm. and, and simply... You know, it's like having this this oil tanker running at full speed in the wrong direction. And we have to not only f pull the brakes, but turn mm. 90 degrees on a completely new trajectory. And now is the time to recognize that it's not, there's no longer enough to do some little corporate social responsibility right. here or have some environmental projects here or feel good that we have some, some positive success mm. on the margins. Now is the time to go big mm. because... Now is the time to become fully sustainable. Mm. And that's where I think that for, for a company like H&M, because mm. you're such a big player globally, I mean, you have so many ripple effects mm. just by, you know, just by your presence, mm. means that I think, uh, you know, adopting science-based targets and timelines, when are you going to cut emissions yes. by half? Yes. When are you going to be at zero emissions? When are you going to avoid all forms of um, dependence on mm. expanding into natural mm. ecosystems to avoid deforestation, etc. I mean, these, these science-based targets are yes. important. But then the circular model, I think, is <clears throat> quite frankly, is the future. Yeah. For, for essentially all sectors, actually, but certainly for, mm. for the textile mm. industry, not only because it's the only way to align mm. with the stability of the planet, mm. But also because I foresee that that will be the only way to make money. Mm. I mean, to really make mm. net income. Mm. Because fundamentally, when you, you know, we're, we're running out of resources. Mm. So the only way is, is to recycle them yes. and to be smart yes. with, with yes. our, our circular yeah. model. So mm. it's not only about sustainable agricultural sourcing. It's also about finding circular right. models. And, right. and of course, that's a big challenge yes. in your business model yes. and then how to succeed with that will require major innovations yes. but i think it, it fundamentally is is the way yeah we need to yeah. move towards yeah we have also found that when setting our own targets like 
on climate, for example. Okay, 2040, we should be uh, climate positive. Mm. It's a difference from setting such a goal. It's not about doing less harm. It's about turning it into something Fundamentally good. good. Mm. But of course, when you set these kind of long-term targets, you need to also do some sub-goals so that you see, exactly. okay, what's the next step? Otherwise, you would think somebody else will, will mm. fix that. And it's the same with biodiversity and commitments that we have made, that we want to have a positive impact. Mm. And that gives a totally different energy, obviously, and, and a different kind of urgency mm. uh, to the whole question. No, I, I can start by saying that, I mean, when you look at for example, it's quite interesting in the in the car industry mm. today. I mean, few people know that, but you have countries like Sweden that has even a regulation of of a requirement of ninety five percent recycling mm. of materials yes. in cars. Yes. Now, the reason why it's talked so silently about that is that it actually makes economic sense. Mm. It is a, mm. a way of of you know um, re retooling yes. uh, materials yes. in a way that is cheaper yes. than opening up a new mine yes. and exploiting yes. and shipping it across mm. the whole planet mm. to be able to do something brand new. Mm. So there's something fundamental about this circularity, which is actually not so new. No. It's, it's been around forever where it's where the low, low hanging fruits yeah. are. And now the question is to find the, the ways of doing it, for example, in textiles. Mm. How, how do mm. you recycle yes. textiles yes. to avoid always depending yes. on the same yes. expanded sourcing yes. of, of materials. Yes. No, and, and um, to me also, since I'm fortunate to also work for, a, for a, a company where we more think about next generation than the next quarter, so you are really allowed to think about the long term, I also... Uh, for me, this is also how you will be profitable over time. <laughs> mm. Because, of course, you could see when we try to uh, find new materials that are recycled or where you uh, theoretically at least will be able to close the loop, it can be expensive sometimes in the beginning. But especially if you're a big player, you always mm. see that as demand increases... Things are obviously happening also with the prices. So, it, and I, I truly think also that bigger players have a responsibility mm. to be part of the research and to be part of the also kind of technical innovation in how you make the whole solution. Um, and and I, I remember so well when we had just a small share of uh, organic cotton, which now mm. is huge. And at that point of time, the price for organic cotton was a big challenge yeah, for yeah. many players. But as demand increased, obviously, that became more feasible for mm. more players. And then I think it's it's interesting to combine that type of circularity in materials that would obviously help us to change the core of mm. our company. Mm. Uh, but combine that with circular business models, like I spoke about before, uh, from the start, where you, what kind of consumer behavior when it comes to resell or 
um, since we uh, have a partner and, and also own parts of the company Selpi, for example, mm. which is helping consumers who would like to uh, uh, sell their used garments or buy used garments. Mm. That's more of a circular new revenue stream, obviously, mm. but that would also allow for more of the customer needs. Mm. And at the same time, we could be part of guiding them. And that would also bring profitability. So, mm. of course, the key is that circularity will bring profitability. Otherwise, it's not sustainable at all. But yeah. I truly believe that's that's the future. <laughs> that's kind of, at least for me, mm. the solution to the decoupling. Mm. No, it's it's not only the solution. It's, it's On the long term, it's a, it's a necessity. Yes for, for yes. the decoupling and the you know the, the the drama is that we've been for so long allowed ourselves to do the completely wrong thing yes. i mean to have these linear production models yes. where we just exploit for free mm. add value mm. sure make profit sure have economic growth sure but then create waste which then pollutes mm. and creates problems downstream and this this linear model in all sectors need to be broken simply because we're hitting hitting mm. the limits mm. of, of the capacity mm. of the planet. And, and when you add, again, the justice point mm. on that, then that's when you really step back and say, oh my God, we are at an urgency point yes. here because we can simply not allow ourselves to lose more of the Amazon rainforest or yes. the temperate forests or the ocean coral reef system. Yeah. To simply, yeah. We simply kind of hit that, mm. that boundary mm. position. The exponential growth has gone for mm. too long. So I think that's where, to me, we, we, we call them in, in science, actors like yourself, we call them keystone actors in, in the global market mm. space. So just like in ecosystems, you know, you always have a food web of species and you have some species that are determining the outcome of the final ecosystem. Yeah. So in the Baltic Sea, for example, outside your window here, the, the cod is, is one of those top predators that kind of determines how much, uh, you know, in the end, uh, how much herring and how much phytoplankton and plankton you have. So you want to look at the top keystone species and in a market we call those keystone actors. Mm. And the keystone actors are, are such in the marketplace that plays a predominant, you know, disproportionately large role mm. in influencing the rest mm. of the market. And I think you are mm. a keystone actor in mm. that sense. So not only do I think your investments in circularity uh, you know, have direct impacts, of course, on your mm. triple bottom mm. line, you know, it spills over to all your competitors right. because they have a look at you right. because you're a keystone actor. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of, if H&M starts moving in a new direction, that's something you have to keep an eye yeah. on. And so that's why I think it's, uh, it's important to recognize, I would argue that, you know, you have a certain responsibility yes. here to... Yes. Uh, if you would take a lead on on kind of really positioning the identity on design value mm. for H and M mm. with with planetary sustainability and and you know social justice, mm. that sends ripples across yes. the whole. Yes. And, yeah. and and moreover, I think beyond just just your business sector, because you know some business sectors are so interwoven mm. with with society yes and you're you're kind of i mean yeah we have clothes on yes. we're sitting here yeah. you know it's like yeah. it's, it's like eating and having clothes right. and trans transport mm. food and and textiles mm. are almost like the um, 
like like the arteries yes. in, yes. in the system. Yeah. So, you know, if, if people start transporting themselves with electric mobility, mm. Mm. and if you start eating mm. sustainable food, yeah. and and even what you dress is mm-hmm. sustainable, mm-hmm. then you have had a mind shift. Yes, a fundamental yes. mind shift. Yes. Then of course, how your mobile phone yeah. is handled and your computer becomes a concern yeah. because you know, if if these three are 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 now in 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 deep in my heart yes. at the right place, yeah. I won't allow the rest no, to be in the wrong no. place. So there is a, a bit of a domino opportunity yes. here that I think yes. I'm just loading this yeah, on your yeah. shoulders. <laughs> yeah, no, but, uh, and I would also say that uh, circularity is also for us a way to handle risks for the future. Yeah, definitely. Because when back there, to the resilience, yeah, uh, again, idea. back to resilience. So that will help us to uh, cope with less water in a completely different way. Yeah. And yeah, you'd be more, so, much more independent. So I like that way of looking at it, both as managing your risks and becoming more resilient, but also looking for new type of growth where obviously our customers are more and more ready uh, to also be part of this kind of movement. Mm. Uh, And obviously, I do think that where we have a sense of urgency, that's to move much faster. And how can we do that? Because we're dependent on on different techniques to be there. We have to change the supply chain if it's going to be fully circular. So there's a lot more to do where I think the pace that we've had in the past cannot be the pace that we have the in the future. No. No, I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear that you're coming back to that point of pace because you may know this. I mean, just, just a few months before the COVID-19 crisis broke out, we had a heads of state roundtable at the United Nations headquarters where we did something that was a very big step for the scientific community because we brought heads of states leaders to to consider in a in a very sincere discussion the the need to declare a state of planetary emergency that all the science shows that we're coming too close to to tipping points where you cross the threshold mm. and we would irreversibly we we would be in unstoppable mm. warming conditions and this is because of the rapid ice melt in antarctica it's about the forest fires in the Amazon. Mm. It's about the forest fires in the Arctic. It's about the permafrost in Siberia. It's about the coral reef systems across the world. It's about the Gulf Stream that makes it possible to live in this part of the world that is slowing down in the North Atlantic. And we feel today that despite all the uncertainties in the mm. science, that we have too many pieces of the puzzle now mm. in place that we need to consider that this is a state of planetary emergency. Mm. Now, why would we declare that? Well, certainly not to just pull down the shutters and say, we now give up. Mm. Oh no, it is exactly to do what you've been, mm. uh, you know, giving proof of here. Now is the time to rise. Mm. Now is the time to go, to go really into mm. the transformative mm. mode and, and kind of allow yourself to think quite big for the new pathways that will give us, you know, the really great outcomes on the long mm. term because the window is still open mm. to secure that we don't cross these, these tipping points. Mm. So the reason why we, we took up this emergency point is that when you think of it, why, why do you declare emergency? Well, one thing is, of course, that the risk is very high. Yeah. Something bad is yeah. about to happen. But the second reason what makes an emergency an emergency is that you're running out of time. Mm. 
So it's that combination, risk mm. plus time. Mm. And, and we have been, you know, warning about risk for 30 years, mm. as you know. Mm. But it's now that we can mm. say we're running out of time. Mm. We just have 10 years to cut emissions by half. Mm. We better do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we cannot just continue year after year, uh, climate meeting after climate meeting, declaring that we have a massive crisis. Mm. We now also need to put put the action in place. Yeah. So, of course, I think I think your your kind of spirit of leadership here to rise in this crisis to really start acting, I think, is um, yeah, that's very aligned with science. Mm. <laughs> that I can say. Mm. Okay. Let's, let's take a new card and see what it says. A radical rethink. A radical rethink. Mm. Yes, what I do would. You say? I would. The, the first and, and most important part of that radical uh, rethink is to reconnect with the planet, mm. to simply recognize and admit. And it's you know it's not something that one have to excuse or feel bad about that we have over the last hundred years disconnected from the planet. We've allowed ourselves to, to think of the planet as something stable, something infinitely large mm. with uh, you know endless resources mm. that can just be delivering natural capital into the value chain and then we have simply just right. trot along. And now by by just having a radical rethink to say, okay, everything we do has to occur within a safe space on earth. Everything we do has to stay within science-based targets. Everything we do has to be within a carbon budget, mm. a water budget, a mm. biodiversity budget. And that sounds quite straightforward when you when mm. you say it the first time, but then when you start thinking what does it mean? Mm. What does it imply? Then you say, "Oh my god, it fundamentally it tells you that the planet's boundaries are non-negotiable." Right. And then we succeed inside yeah. that space. Yeah. That's to me what what would be a yeah. A radical rethink but of course then the question is how do you succeed mm. in that space mm. makes uh, opens up for even more radical thinking mm. i think i mean mm. i mean your visions about a, a circular business model in your entire value chain i would mm. argue is quite mm. quite a quite a radical step mm. i mean it's a it's not radical in, in in the sense that you're still aiming for you know good profit good social conditions for your mm. workers, uh, really good reputation around mm. the world. You want to be one of the actors that uh, is perceived as really taking your social responsibility mm. anywhere. I mean, mm. that's not any change, but mm. the radical is how do you succeed? Right. And I think there is right. is something right. fundamentally radical here. And then just finally to say that what what you know most people start understanding, but we are at this juncture where mm. where we need radical reductions in the negatives mm. so we have to do mm. as you pointed out earlier it's not a question of being a little bit less bad now mm. it's a question of being 100% good right. because if we're going to be a fossil fuel free world economy in 30 years i mean that that is that is radical yeah and and that's what we're facing mm. and of course that is so mm. big so i think it requires mm. some science concludes we need radical transformation mm. but the political leadership in the world at large is very much on incremental change still mm. so there's a mismatch right so so even even at best if you take an average over the world you you know one should remember that 
you know, it's only one country in the world that is stepping out of the Paris Climate Agreement, mm. and that is the U.S. So mm. 194 countries are still in. Mm. I mean, that is that is very positive, mm. and it's incredibly important. Mm. The countries, societies, economies are aligning with mm. with the fact mm. that we're causing global warming mm. and need to handle it. What what I'm concerned about is that that still is is handled in an incremental way. Right. To put it simple, it's like. Even the best political leader, not the best, but an average mm. political leader in the world today, uh, takes climate change seriously, takes environmental problems seriously, mm. but sees it as as one sector among many other competing mm. sectors. Mm. So it's like, okay, if I mm. if I have good enough economic growth, if mm. I don't have too much problems with jobs and health and security, mm. I can do some good things mm. also for the environment. Mm. When in fact we need some radical thinking mm. to recognize that. That's not possible to mm. do it anymore. Mm. Now we have to go zero carbon mm. on across all mm. sectors immediately. Mm. And and do we see any such such political leadership in the world today? Well, I would argue the only place we see uh, an alignment with science is in the European Union, because mm. the European Union has adopted the Green Deal, mm. has taken a decision now to reduce emissions between 2020 now and mm. 2030 with 55 percent, mm. which is in line with what the science says, that that's a radical step, mm. and and of course, if that is is delivered, which has now been decided mm. upon by the Commission and mm. the European Council, mm. I mean the heads of state in the European Union, then of course that that would be uh, a real political mm. example mm. Of, of a movement in the mm. right direction. Mm. But elsewhere in the world today, it's doubtful. So mm. we we still have tremendous work to. To, to succeed in in getting mm. um, a, you know a global movement here, mm. and that comes back to to your vision, which is that you know I'm absolutely convinced today that we will never succeed by people like myself telling people that we must because we are facing catastrophic risks. Right, right. We need people like me mm. warning about that, yeah. but we need people like you saying that yes, I will rise to this yeah. challenge, but I will also make it something that makes it profitable for us. Yes. I'm going to make it successful yes. as yes. well. Because that's where we can get everyone yes. on board. I mean, how, how, can, how can even the most, uh, you know, incrementally leading political leader not mm. be attracted to the idea of, of jumping on the sustainability bandwagon if it gets better, yes. better economic yes. outcome? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that I think no, is... A, and I guess that's why people like myself and our company and also others in the industry should feel, I, I really do feel a big responsibility mm. in doing this because we also know if we go back the 80s, we saw the wave of globalization sweeping in and we took a lot of advantages from that and we democratized fashion. Yeah, I think we were really part of doing that and making sure that whatever size of wallet you can come to us and you can you know express yourself through fashion and that's really part of my passion Uh, then came digitalization so customer behavior changed really quickly and now we have sustainability Mm. and i think that will come with force Mm. Um, and when that wave kind of breaks i I really think that a big part of our customers will ask for this. Mm. 
But then I'm also thinking that we can't really wait for everybody's awareness because it's so much more urgency in this Mm. question. So how can we be part of influencing customer behaviors, which is also a responsibility or an opportunity, whatever way you see it, that we have because of our size. Because I think you shape shape values. Yes. And I like to think like that because especially if we think about the young generation, we used to think of ourselves as we guide them. But also now we see that they are so strong. They kind of set the future trends. They define the culture, the future culture. So they are also guiding us. So it's Mm -hmm. all about how can we engage with them. They raise awareness. They ask for more sustainability, but also we're part of influencing that. And how can we kind of engage to get this radical change that we're talking about Mm. that I think can be a stepping stone. And here I think we have a role to play because we can make sustainability into something cool, (laughs) something fashionable, something desirable. Mm. Um, Oh, you're so right. And that's why I think the the kind of the the science business link can be tightened up even further because mm. I think we can provide, you know, that you can feel fundamentally anchored in the best possible evidence. Mm. So that's a good floor to stand Mm. on because you want to stand firmly if you want to go radical. Yes. But then I totally agree with you. I mean, you you don't only reach the young consumers around the world, you can attract uh, musicians, you can attract uh, people from sports, you can attract people from all all cultural Mm. areas because... Mm. And that is what, what can move mm. perceptions. Mm. I think the question yes. is, I mean, that, that the radical mm. change is also about shift in values. Yes. And the shift in values is a, is a, is a very unpredictable mm. thing, mm. but it can go quite fast. Mm. I think that mm. when, I mean, you just look at the whole, you know, attitude towards passive smoking, mm. for example, mm. how it, nothing happened for, for right. decades, right. but then it's a bang. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if, if, if someone would start smoking on, on, on an aircraft or in a restaurant, you would basically lift that person yes. physically yes. out because it would <laughs> yeah. just be unacceptable yeah. from a moral perspective. So mm. I think we can, but of course th- this has to happen through almost unexpected partnerships, mm. I think, mm. when you can have like business and science and civil society, mm. for example, just mm. just even informally helping each mm. other to, to start that, mm. you know, to get get the movement just mm. uh, rippling right, out right, in, in ways right. that... Um, and I think it's the perfect moment now. Yeah. And again, I come back to the fact that the reason why it's the perfect moment is not because we're facing disaster risks, but it's because we're seeing that sustainability can give us better outcomes. Yes, right. And that is the... Right. That's the key. We didn't. We weren't there ten years ago. We couldn't say mm. that. Actually, we couldn't say for certain that mm. solar voltaics and wind farms that were on an mm. exponential journey, mm. but they were very expensive and very complicated mm. to, you know, reach out to the yeah. most vulnerable communities. Yeah. But that's no longer yeah. the case. But if we talk about getting from talking to doing stuff to getting to action, and the fact that this is pretty urgent, where do you see that most? things are happening right now whether that is in research or it's uh, partnerships Mm. or with your view where can you see that the biggest change is happening right now Mm. 
you know, well, to begin with, I think it's important to to draw one line, which is that I think the only way to succeed yeah. is that citizens, science, policy, and business all hold hands mm. and and are, are moving in in the right mm. in the same direction. Now the problem is that the, that that symphony is not playing, mm. you know, a, a joint tune yeah. at all. So right now we're seeing that the political leadership is certainly lagging behind, mm. and science and and business is is many steps ahead. Mm. So I think the the key here is to find the alliances mm. that are willing to move fast mm. now, and and to do that with um, but but recognizing that it's not as if science and business can simply just solve this. Mm. Uh, just because we set science-based targets for different companies, you know, if if the policies are not in place to set the, the leveling playing mm. field on how to price carbon or what kind of uh, import tariffs mm. you have or what kind of regulatory means you have so that you as a mm. CEO in a company mm. know that this is what I'm competing against mm. in a fair way, then mm. of course it won't work. Mm. So, so by the end of the day, we need policy. Mm. We cannot just escape no. policy. So, I, so today, my my assessment is that okay, the political leadership is is not really on, fully on board. Let's work with business mm. and 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 move the frontier mm. really mm. fast forward. Mm. But then try to convince business leaders like yourself mm. to have more intense dialogues with the political leadership, right. because in the end, you know, policymakers they want to be voted back in office, mm. and and you can help them mm. because. You know, the best way to be voted back in office is that the economy is growing. Mm. I mean, that the economy right. is in good shape. Yes. So there is a bit of a symbiosis mm. there. And uh, so, I, so right now, uh, we in the scientific community mm. invest a lot in, in the bridge with business mm. because we see that as a much faster right. route. But then we need to get policy mm. with us. Mm. Uh, and that, I mean, one of the successes in the European Union is that there is an emissions trading mm. scheme. There is a price on carbon. Mm. There are really, you know, relatively well-established regulations mm. on chemicals and uh, even on biodiversity, there is, you know, quite some... I mean, everyone loves to hit on the common agricultural policy in the yeah. European Union. But in the end, if you look carefully at it, you know, taxpayers' money are used to give subsidies to farmers to manage landscapes mm. towards better mm. biodiversity. Mm. I mean, that's the only way a mm. Swedish or French farmer can mm. get money today. Mm. So it's not... It's not completely right. decoupled no. from sustainability. Yeah. So, yeah. but I think I think that um, you know it's not only because you and I are sitting here right now <laughs> representing business and science. I truly think that science and business has mm. a special uh, role to play yeah. at this juncture. Yeah. Shall we take a new card? Let's do it. See what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one is good. Supply and demand. Oh, that's... I think that's your turf. Yes, it is. I've been working many, many years also in the uh, supply chain um, and looking back at our supply chain and probably many other companies would recognize the story. Uh, uh, that's about also a more fragmented supply chain where you kind of optimize the pieces because if mm -hmm. you think about the whole chain, it kind of starts with the demand. So it starts with understanding what the customers needs that you can do in different ways, but that's kind of the demand planning. And mm. then you need to match that with supply. And then you have production and you have usually a number of suppliers that would 
produce for you. And then you have transport and then you have distribution centers and mm. you need to get it out to the stores or online uh, to customers. And it, it's like that whole chain, if you treat that in a fragmented way, it doesn't become demand-driven in yeah. the same way. Yeah. So if you just try to optimize prices or quality with your suppliers, let's say, and then transport or other parts could kind of hamper the customer experience. Like, is it fast or what's the quality or the price of a garment? So to really become more demand-driven, you have to look at the whole Mm. much more and treat supply chain as something that should be customer-centric. So Mm. if you uh, offer a customer really high fashion, probably that's things that should go faster. Mm. compared to a basic t-shirt then you more refill because mm. it's going to be there always so you treat it a little bit in different ways and i think supply and demand uh, also when thinking about making your own business more sustainable that's absolutely key mm. And it's so basic that most people don't even think about that as something sustainable. But obviously that is to make sure that what you produce, you sell. Mm. So it's about the overstock. It's about that whole situation. And today there's so many more tools than there used to be. And you have AI that can Mm. help you in understanding what is the demand so that you kind of get it right for the customers so that you get a faster spin. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, so that I think is a, is a very important part that will have a huge impact. However, it's still linear. Mm. Mm. So you can't kind of stop there. So more and more it strikes me, especially when working with supply chain, that you it's less that you have to choose either or like should i focus on getting better hit rates supply and demand or should i focus on the circularity part you Mm. simply have to (laughs) say i do the and Mm. how can we make it possible because we have to do that kind of in parallel Mm. so yeah one part is maybe more basic the other part circularity is really what I would consider as the game changer where we still don't have all the answers where Mm. at least I feel stressed to get more like speed in how can we scale that up and how can we get more circularity and for example getting fibers back into the whole flow again Mm. but a question to you there is I mean, you talked earlier about that you are kind of widening your supply menu with with more, uh, you know, secondhand and you can rent clothes. And I mean, there there are Mm. different offers. Mm. I mean, how if you think of this on the long term, how what percentage of your overall supply do you foresee will will come from new types of supply Mm. and and not Mm. the not the kind of traditional, however sustainable uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Do you see that that will be... Yeah, a... I, I got that question also internally the other day. It's like a million-dollar question. I can imagine. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to give a number because if you look 
at the part where we have the more traditional supply chain today and the new part, the new part is still so small. Mm -hmm. So the urgency is really where I would say we're still exploring. How can we get the speed up, like uh, renting clothes or resell, the collaboration with Selby, a partnership with them, if we look at Treadler, a new way of making sure that sustainability and that work that we have done can also be accessed by others, mm. uh, how big will that be? I can't give you that question, but we are doing a lot right now to make sure that that exploration phase more goes into a scale-up phase and how can mm. we learn how to make that part also, of course, profitable, uh, but also something where we can really fulfill customers' demands. Mm. Because if you, again, today, if you're supposed to be truly customer-centric, you need to understand that a customer obviously has many demands. They Mm. do a customer journey. Mm. Mm. If you're interested in customers spending more time with you, you have to understand people. Mm. What are their needs? What more can we do for them? And when you do, you understand that, oh, sustainability, especially in Europe, maybe especially Scandinavia, but I would say Europe, Mm. there's a bigger and bigger interest for these type of consumer behaviors Mm. because of their awareness. Exactly of environmental questions. And that's fantastic. We should applaud that and just make sure how can we be part of that? How can we enable them to and give them more what they want? And in that way also, that would be a win for us. Mm. So yeah, now I, I never gave you a number because I, no, I, I didn't but, expect but, it perhaps, but, but, I, <laughs> but, I, but at I, least I'm reasoning that I think there is a sense of urgency to do that part of the new growth mm. at the same time as you get that more linear model to work, because that's the system in the fashion industry that is the biggest challenge, and we mm. have to do both. Yeah. No, I mean, and and and, and I don't have any. If you don't have any numbers, I don't have any evidence to support the following, but I, but it, it almost comes out from this conversation as well that if you want to build a resilient yes. textile industry yes. in the future, yes. then you want to have a diversity of yes. different offers. Yes. And there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, if we continue communicating the science and if you continue looking out from your window and seeing the rising frequency of extreme events that are occurring... Yes then, of course, you can see demand moving very fast and people move with their feet. And, of course, you are in a very sensitive Mm. business Mm. in that sense Mm. because, you know, if if you are associated with with taking responsibility Mm. for both planet and people, Mm. well, then you might be an attractor. Mm. But if you don't, people can quickly drift somewhere else. So I think if you want to, you know, it seems to me like like a very, you know, advisable bet yes to to go big yes. on on rentals and uh, recycling and on circular and on you know every every scalable mm. innovation mm. that takes you mm. towards more circular sustainable business models right. 
should be on on offer because yes. then you're in a, in a much more resilient yes yes, uh, yes. footing yes to deal with uh, i mean okay 2020 was the pandemic you know next time it is uh, a massive heat waves knocking down uh, you know agriculture yeah. thereby cotton production mm. in large parts of mm. india and we start recognizing that these heat waves become so frequent that we are really getting to a point where the urgency is real mm. i mean it is real but mm. that it really is understood as mm. real then of course things can start shifting and, and right. to be ready for that yeah. i think that yeah. the the next decade will be a very decisive set of years both right. in terms of determining are we able to really start bending the curves yes. but also in terms of values and demands and uh, you know the whole sentiment right. in the world yes. you know it's yes. uh, and yeah. that that i think is a, something to navigate yeah you know? i was thinking about because when you talk about i asked you about what's happening in politics and uh, different steps that are taken and and you say that in within eu quite a lot of things uh, are happening right now so if we would get one continent to really move Do you think that the other part of the world would follow? Like, how do you see mm. that? Uh, how mm. much hope can we put into, in this case, then Europe taking certain steps and mm. others would follow? Mm. No, that's a very good question. I mean, in in the past, up until recently, I mean, we've we've focused all our efforts in trying to get everyone to kind of float up together right and everyone should be on board mm. and awareness creation to mm. all and and that is not delivering so i'm i'm increasingly you know today absolutely convinced that we need to create alliances for change mm. and that those alliances will certainly be minorities but but they have to be large enough minorities that start the transition and showing that it makes sense mm. to go sustainable mm. in terms of economics and social factors and that this then sends the signals right and spillover yeah. effects that can lead yeah. to social tipping mm. points that makes makes it a race mm. towards sustainability mm. and and you're right that I mean my assessment today is that you know the only climate leadership we have in the world is the European Union that unfortunately all other countries in the world are are either you know not ramping up the ambition mm. since signing the Paris agreement five years ago mm. and are therefore not aligned with science mm. Because the world is moving towards three, mm. four degrees Celsius mm. warming mm. by this century, mm. not not staying well below two, but the European Union has decided to cut emissions by fifty-five percent the next coming ten years. And when you think of it really seriously, in all sectors in the economy, twenty-seven countries, the world's largest economic regions, is going to more than more than half mm. its emissions. Mm. That is, of course, a point. If you if if Europe succeeds mm. with that. And and I can guarantee you, it will under no circumstances succeed while sacrificing jobs in the mm. economy. Mm. So if it succeeds mm. and, and can develop in a, in a reasonably good way, that of course will send tremendously strong signals mm. to China and India, mm. and also Brazil and South Africa and Nigeria, the big emerging economies, right. which which could spill over mm. into making, which is what I hope, and we start seeing signs. The new narrative on sustainability—the mm. the, the narrative that you represent is mm. so strong—that sustainability is no longer this environmental issue. No. It's not a moral issue yeah. anymore. It is right with the CEO. Mm. It is it is the strategy for 
successful business development. Mm. And, and, you know, if the European Union, I'm, I'm almost certain about this, actually, that if the European Union delivers on the Green Deal mm. and the 750 billion euros that are now invested in the, in the post-COVID recovery and aligning that with, with really starting to cut emissions by half and protecting nature, if the European Union delivers on that, mm. You know, with, with Germany right there in the center, the world's fourth largest mm. economy, an extraordinary export dependent mm. country. So it's like it's a, it's a country that is an industrial mm. country, mm. heavily coal dependent. Mm. It's now phasing out coal. So, you know, if countries like Germany and France and, well, I, I count the UK in this mm. equation, actually, then I think that can have a domino effect, mm. global domino right, effect. Right. It's very difficult for China and India not to take yeah, that yeah, development seriously. Yeah. You'll get Canada and Australia on board mm. directly. So, you know, you can almost count the order of how things would start trickling in place. Yeah. And, and I think we then would come very quickly to a point, that's where you can play an important role again, that the, the emerging developing, the, the developing economies in mm. the world that, that aspire to mm. quick, quick development on really good grounds. Mm. I mean, they want to lift themselves out mm. of poverty. And of course, these are markets mm. that you are increasingly, mm. and where you are very present. Mm. If they see that sustainability is the way to get good economic development, well, at the same time, my goodness, we clean the air. Right. We can suddenly breathe right. the space in Addis mm. or Lagos mm. or Nairobi. Mm. You know, it's, it's a kind of an interesting win-win that, that really starts yeah. emerging. Yeah. And that's where I think we are at this pivotal point right now. Yeah. So where do you see uh, kind of biggest hope? What, where would you, where do, you, where do mm. you see the light and where do you see that things are actually happening overall? No, as I said, I mean, I think that one light is, is the policy making in the European yeah. Union and the Green Deal and the, and the post-COVID mm. recovery investment mm. in Europe. I think that is one light. The second light is, is that I'm seeing in, in many business sectors, but in particularly within transport, mm. the heavy truck industry, for example, cars, food industry, mm. and I hope in the yeah. textile industry. Yeah. But I think in, in, in so many industri industry sectors, mm. starting to see sustainability becoming and clearly first and foremost mm -hmm. climate mm -hmm. is starting to become kind of embedded in in at the core of the business model mm -hmm. development and that i mean i've never been and we in the scientific community have never been so uh, on demand by mm -hmm. by business mm -hmm. to provide strategic guidance mm -hmm. it's like businesses have come to realize that science provides a kind mm -hmm. of insider information mm -hmm. you know this is this is where the planet is heading. That should be where the market is mm. heading. And, and that is, is a light mm. to me. Mm. It's, a, it's a big mm. light, actually. And, uh, and the third light is, of course, the most exciting one, which is that in sector by sector by sector, be it in, in food or energy or textile or, or transport, we see that sustainable solutions exist, mm. are scalable, mm. and are competitive mm. increasingly. Right. I mean, it's not as if it's not as if it's, it's not utopia. Mm. To say that this can work. Mm. We certainly have massive challenges. Mm. I mean, your point about mm. recycling mm. fibers is, of course, still, mm. um, you know, on a scaling piloting phase. But but we start seeing that this can be done and mm. can be done in a competitive mm. way. Mm. 
So, you know, we have the the big scaling of uh, even in in the uh, you know in the in the metals industry and in, in iron construction. Mm. I mean, in stainless steel mm. now going fossil fuel free at mm. scale. We have uh, increasing evidence of even aircrafts being mm. run on jet mm. fuels and mm-hmm. electricity. We see uh, even the, the the heavy lithium. Uh, exploitation, finding circular models mm. for battery constructors. So I think there are many lights out there. Mm. Uh, the key is to to, <laughs> to water them so yeah. that they can grow very yeah. fast. Yeah. And that mm. is the that's the challenge mm. right now. And where do you <laughs> see hope? Um, where I'm most passionate is well, first of all, looking at ourselves and looking at how can we optimize our impacts so that the future development goes faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm really passionate about how we grow. Mm. When growth is in our DNA, always hunting for new opportunities, I think that is fantastic. But if you then target growth that has another kind of meaning and comes with more value so that we're truly sustainable, that makes me very engaged. And again, coming back to our role, I mean, we have so much more we have to do, especially when it comes to circularity, where there is, this is very, very urgent. And I feel if we if we can transition ourselves and kind of change the system behind fashion and design, the movement that we could create again with the young generation showing that we, we it's not about only fashion, there's mm. something more. And if I then think about potential partnerships with parties and companies that comes with the same values and the movement we could create, especially with the young generation, that gives me a lot of hope. That's Mm. when I feel, wow, Mm. we can truly have an impact. We have a lot of things to do Mm. to make that possible. But we are one of those players that can create that type of hope for millions of people out there. That makes me feel very passionate. Mm.